There was a man who lived in an apartment complex in a city. It was a hot summer, and most of the people who lived there left their windows open and their shades up. And he would sit by his living room window basking in a light breeze and stare out into the courtyard. Across the way was the apartment of a woman who also lived alone. She was dark-haired, olive-skinned, had large almond-shaped eyes with heavy darker lids. And to him, she was very beautiful. She'd come home every evening around six, pour herself a drink, turn on a radio to a classical music station, and then sit at her own window and stare out, at which point he would always draw back into the shadows of his apartment out of her line of sight, but still able to see her. He watched her cook dinner in her kitchen and eat her meals in her dinette. He watched her sit in her armchair reading in the lamplight. And sometimes, late at night, when he couldn't sleep, he'd get up and see her writing in a bound volume she kept in her desk or lying on her living room couch in the dark watching an old movie on television. He didn't know who she was or what she did for a living, but he found himself moved by her, by what he imagined was her sadness, her loneliness. And he wondered how he could meet her. He thought of standing by the door of her building, waiting for her to come home in the evening. But what could he say? How could he strike up a conversation? He noted that sometimes she came home a little later than usual, carrying bags of groceries from a local supermarket. And he began to shop there himself at around 6 p.m., hoping to run into her. But the one time he saw her there, he couldn't summon the courage to approach her. She lived on the ninth floor of her building, and he thought of going over there and looking at all the names on the mailboxes on her floor, and maybe he'd be able to figure out who she was. He'd write the names down, and look them up in the city phone book, and then, when she was home, he'd call one number after another, until her phone rang. But he suspected her number was probably unlisted, and even if he did call her, he couldn't think of what he'd say to her anyway. And so he dropped the idea. And what was remarkable to him was that this strikingly beautiful woman came home alone every evening and seemed to spend her weekends alone as well, except for every Sunday night when she'd cook dinner for an elderly gray-haired woman, apparently her mother. They'd eat quietly, sometimes sitting for minutes without speaking. They never seemed to smile or laugh. Then, at the door, they'd embrace briefly, and her mother would leave. Her relationship to her mother reminded him of his with his own. There had been a certain reserve and formality. They had tried to act as if things were all right, when they really weren't. And whenever they parted, his mother had leaned forward, offering her cheek for a kiss, but their bodies never touched. In these near embraces, his mother had always patted him on the back, little repeated pats that left him feeling cold and empty, and it said, Take care of yourself, Michael. Every Saturday evening, Michael would go to a park a short distance from where he lived. 
He'd walk around the lake and stop to feed the ducks. But mostly, he liked sitting on a bench underneath the weeping willow. He'd look out across the water and think about what his mother had told him about his father, who died when he was a child. Michael's father had been an astronomer, a pioneer at the forefront of space research, who'd first theorized and then actually discovered the phenomenon of black holes in the universe. He'd written a seminal paper on the subject, and he died in the observatory one night of a massive stroke while looking through the telescope. According to the story, which might have been apocryphal, he had seen something so profoundly moving it had been too much for him to bear. What he'd seen was never discovered, and his death was considered a huge setback for space science, and the Vice President of the United States attended the funeral. Later, a library at the university was named after him. Late one Saturday afternoon, Michael watched the woman in the window across the way, getting ready to go out. He immediately left his apartment and waited on the corner near her front door. She came out and began walking, and he followed her, keeping a safe distance between them for miles until she came to a bridge over a river. She walked out onto it and stopped to look over the railing. He watched her stare into the water. She was very still. Then a man in a motorized wheelchair rolled up behind her, and she turned quickly, startled. They spoke for a moment, and she reached into his pocket, placed a cigarette between his lips, and lit it. They kept talking as they continued to the end of the bridge, and then separated. She walked into an area that was in the process of being gentrified. There were artists' lofts and galleries and small restaurants, and she sat down alone at an outdoor table of a cafe and ordered coffee. Then she drew something out of her purse and stared at it. And a minute later, a Lincoln Town car pulled up, and a man in his 60s with a gray mustache, wearing an expensive suit and a silk scarf, got out and came over to her. He stood by her table. They spoke. He paid the tab. She stood up, and they both got into his car and drove away. Michael stood there watching the car disappear into the distance and felt shaken. He wasn't ready to trek all the way back home, so he walked over to the uncleared table where she'd been sitting and sat down. And that's when he saw the photograph lying next to her coffee cup, the picture she'd apparently been staring at earlier, of what appeared to be a nine or ten-year-old girl in a garden standing next to a tree, a braided rope hanging from a branch above her that seemed attached to a swing. She looked very serious, way too serious for a girl of her age, with big, sad, sullen brown eyes. Michael ordered a light lunch. Then he asked the waiter, Who is that woman who was just sitting here? She was very beautiful. Does she come here often? And the waiter answered quickly, Oh no, sir, I, I've never seen her before. But Michael thought he was lying. He came home with the photograph and placed it on his night table. Then, one evening, from his window, 
He saw her holding her face in her hands, sobbing. And he was beside himself, trying to think of something, anything he could do to help her. And finally he went to his phone and ordered a dozen roses and had them delivered to her anonymously. And he watched her receive them at her door and read the card on which had been written, You're not alone, from someone who cares. But because her back was turned to him, he couldn't see her expression. And he watched her put the flowers in a vase and place it on the living room table. The following evening, he saw her sitting alone in her apartment reading. Then she got up to answer the door, and a thin, pale, nondescript young man entered, wearing a white shirt, tie, and slacks. And as soon as he closed the door behind him, she threw herself at him, and the two of them embraced passionately, the young man kissing her throat, and her shoulders, and her lips. And then, very tenderly, he began to undress her. It was moving, and beautiful, and heartbreaking, and Michael couldn't bear watching it. And he found himself pulling a suitcase from the back of his hallway closet and hurriedly packing, piling underwear, shirts, socks, slacks, and toiletries haphazardly into the valise, because he knew he had to leave his apartment and this city at once. And he took the elevator down to the street and hailed a cab to the airport. In the cab, he stared at the photograph of the young girl and began crying. The driver asked what airline he was flying. He said, Anyone, just get me to the airport. And the driver said, You don't know what airline? And he said, It doesn't matter. And the driver said, That's very unusual. Never happened before. No passenger ever asked such a thing. And Michael repeated, Just get me to the first airline you can. I don't care. And the driver saw him looking at the photograph again and said, I see you looking at picture. Is it because of person in picture that you fly away? And Michael said, Yes. A woman? Yes, a woman, he said. Ah, now I understand why you don't care where you go. I was in love once. A beautiful woman, but she went off with someone else. My heart, it was broken for a long time. Is this what happened to you? And he said, yes. Were you together a long time? No, I was never with her. I've never even spoken to her. I live across a courtyard from her, and I fell in love just by watching her. Well, how do you know she doesn't feel for you what you feel for her? Because I saw her with another man tonight, and she seemed very much in love with him. Well, maybe she was, but she don't know about you. What if she know about you? Maybe she'd change her mind and, and make love to you like that. I doubt it, he said. And the cab driver suddenly pulled over to the side of the highway and stopped the cab. And he removed his cap and turned around to face Michael and said, How do you think I came to this country? Hmm? Because I did what you are doing. 
Now I drive 15 hours a day to live in stinky little apartment in Long Island City. I left my homeland over a woman, and now I am alone and I have nothing. And I knew she did not love me. You don't even know. Maybe she was making love to this man because she was lonely, not because she loved him. Maybe you could love her more deeply, make her happier than anyone else. You didn't even give her a chance. And then he added, I can see you are a kind and good man, and any woman would be happy to have men like you. And I have been right about such things before. My mother was gypsy, and I have feelings for such things. If only I could have predicted how my own life would turn out. Isn't it sad, you know, that Gypsy can't foretell his own future? But at least I can do something for you. So, I'm going to drive you back. And listening to the driver, Michael thought that maybe he was right. What could he lose? And he imagined walking up to her in the street and saying, I live across the way and I've seen you from the window of my apartment. And then asking her if they could just talk for a while over coffee or lunch and when they pulled up to his building Michael thought the driver would refuse to take any money for the trip but he charged the full $80 fare adding another $5 for Michael's luggage which Michael gladly paid and Michael ran into the lobby and rather than wait for the elevator raced up the stairs carrying his suitcase and once back in his apartment he went straight to the window and looked out. Her apartment was dark, and he waited all night, sitting in his chair, until morning. But no one was there, and at six that evening, she didn't show up. The following morning, he called in sick at work and waited all day by his window. And again, she didn't show up in the evening. He continued to call in sick. Finally, a week later, he looked out the window and saw her mother come into the apartment and walk from room to room, looking around. Then three workmen at the old woman's directions began packing all the clothing and personal effects in the apartment. And in less than two hours, the men had boxed everything and crated the furniture and carried it all out, and the apartment was empty. Then Michael saw the old woman come out of the bedroom carrying the dried, dead flowers he'd had delivered to her daughter when he'd seen her crying almost a month ago. And she dropped them in the trash. And he realized she'd saved them, that maybe they had meant something to her, after all. And the old woman looked around once more, and then walked out, and closed the door.